remember, we're in a series in the book of Psalms, and what we've said is that Psalms are like a toolbox for the soul. Uh, these are tools that help us to cultivate our interior lives. And there's a psalm for just about every emotion. There's a psalm for just about every experience that you might go, go through. And so they are perfect to help you uh, move through and, ex and, and draw close to God through, through uh, all the different experiences that you might go through in life. Psalms are also like medicine for your soul. And so uh, by praying the Psalms, you experience healing and you experience transformation. It's actually so good for your soul to learn uh, the, the, the chapters in this book. And because of this, we're not just supposed to read the Psalms. We ought to immerse ourselves in the Psalms. Uh, learn how to pray them. This is a crucial book. In fact, did you know that uh, the Psalms are the book that the New Testament quotes the most? It's the, uh, it's the Old Testament book that is quoted most in the New Testament. And, in fact, uh, Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book. And so this book is crucial, and I hope that uh, you uh, will begin to pray the Psalms yourself. Uh, pray a Psalm every day. Uh, it, they are just that important. And so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a new Psalm. We're going to pull out a new experience or a new emotion and see how the Psalms deals with that, that emotion. And the emotion that we're going to look at today is, is that of want or lack. And I think this is a really important experience to look at right now in the time that we're going through, because I think because of quarantine, uh, because of COVID-19, so many of us are experiencing lack. We are hyper aware even of the things that we lack. And so, um, you know, I think about my own life R right now. There are so many things that I want that I can't have. So, for example, I want a haircut and I can't have it. Uh, I want to uh, go to my favorite restaurant. I want to go inside of my favorite restaurant and eat a meal. Um, I want to uh, go to go to my friend's house and just have a meal together. I want to meet with you guys. I'm tired of, I, it's great we could do church like this, but I'm tired of it. This is not what I want. I want to meet with you. I want to be together. I want to know when all of this is going to be over with. There are so many things that we want right now that because of the circumstances we can't have. And so we are hyper aware of lack. But let's be clear, COVID-19 did not start the lack that's, that we feel. It simply reveals it. Because I think that the, the emotion, the experience that most of us feel on a daily basis is that of lack. In fact, there's an author and a professor, her name is Brene Brown. And she talks about how uh, America is, is a culture that is hyper aware of lack. Here's what she says. She says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours in the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit in bed, sit up in bed, before our feet even hit the floor, we are already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. This internal condition of scarcity lives at, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. And I think this is so true. We have an internal condition of scarcity. It's what makes us jealous. It's what leads to comparison. It's what leads to all the, our arguments with life. 
I don't have enough success. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough brains. I don't have enough, and you fill in the blank. And so the question is, what do we do with our lack? What do we do with our want? What do, what do we do with this, this sense of discontentment that is kind of at the heart of the human condition? Well, this is why I love Psalm 23, because Psalm 23 is like medicine for our inner sense of lack, for our discontentment, for our want. Because notice how it begins. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what the ESV says. And then the NIV says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, the psalmist is not saying that he has everything he wants in life. He's not saying that circumstances are fine, that he's got everything that he could ever want or need. In fact, when you look at the psalm, he's, he talks about going through valleys. He talks about having enemies. I mean, things are not ideal in his life. And yet in the midst of lack, he says, I have everything that I want. In the midst of, of having, you know, things that maybe he, he doesn't, you know, that he, that he lacks, he's completely satisfied. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so this is a psalm about the enoughness of God. Is that a word? I made it up just now. This is a, a psalm dedicated to the enoughness of your shepherd. In this psalm, we learn that if Jesus Christ, if God himself is our shepherd, we have everything that we need. We, we lack nothing. We can be satisfied. So what does the shepherd do, though, that satisfies us? What kind of things does the shepherd do in our lives that, that helps us be content, even when things are not perfect? Well, let's go through and let's learn some things that, that he does that are enough for us. What's so important is the verbs in this psalm. We're going to go through and we're going to look at the verbs. We're going to see the things that the shepherd does that are enough for us. First, notice what the, he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because first, his provision is enough. Notice what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, when he talks about pastures here, he's talking about provision. The pasture is the place of provision. Now, um, I didn't know much about uh, uh, sheep, you know, before I did this sermon. And so I, I did some research on the Internet this past week, and I found a website called Sheep 101. And what I learned is what, sheeps, what sheep eat. And so uh, mostly sheep eat grass, legumes, forbs, and other pasture plants. In other words, sheep eat green stuff. And there's a lot of green stuff in pasture. And so uh, the job of the shepherd is to provide for his sheep. And so what he does is he finds green pasture, a pasture that has um, lots of things for the, for the sheep to nourish themselves upon. And what he's saying is that God himself is my provider. God himself leads me to green pasture. God himself provides for my physical needs. And he says, that's enough for me. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, you may say, this sounds kind of mean, like he makes me lie down. You know, you think of him like pushing the sheep down into the green pasture. But this is, a, this is an expression of deep care. So think about a parent. As a parent, uh, you often make your child lie down, right? Your child might uh, stay up until midnight if, if he or she wants. 
uh, you know, who knows how long they would stay up, but, but you make them lie down at 8.30 or 8 o'clock or whatever because you know what's best for them. You know your child's needs more than they know their own needs. And this is true about your shepherd. He knows your needs better than you know them. And he is committing to providing for you. And his provision is enough. And it takes trust to believe this. Because I know that many of you, you don't have a job right now. Or maybe some of you, you don't have a job right now. You don't know how God's going to provide. You you don't know how he's going to do it. And so it takes trust to believe that, that God has said, I will provide for you. I will care for your physical needs. Just like a shepherd cares for the needs of the sheep. I'm going to take care of you. So trust me. Believe me. I'm going to take care of you, he says. It also takes contentment because it means that we need to learn to be content with what he has provided. Because some of you might be thinking, well, I don't like this pasture that he's put me in. You know, I I, I want to be in a different pasture. I wish I had that pasture or this other pasture. and, And this teaches us that whatever God has given us, wherever he's put us, we need to learn to be content. You may say, I'm not, I'm not happy with the brains that he's given me. Why did he give me these brains and not those brains? Why did he give me this body and not that body? Why did he give me this job and not that job? Why, why am I living in this house and not that house? Why do I have this spouse and not that spouse? Why do I have this life and not another life? Part of what he's saying is that I am content with the place and the pasture where God has put me. His provision is enough. If he hasn't seen fit to give it to me, then I don't need it. I have all that I need. His provision is good enough for me. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't look for a better job if you want one. This doesn't mean that you don't work on your marriage if your marriage needs help. Uh, This doesn't mean that you don't try hard to uh, improve your situation in life. It just means that once you've done everything and you've tried everything and done everything, that you are content with what God has given you. I'm okay with the pasture where he has put me. His provision is enough. Second of all, we learn not only that his provision is enough, but his leadership and his guidance is enough. Notice he goes on and he says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So twice there he uses the word lead. This is another thing that the shepherd does for him. Uh, The shepherd, uh, just like a shepherd, uh, leads the sheep, uh, guides the sheep. The sheep are wayward, you know, and they'd wander off and they they really don't know where to go unless the shepherd shows them, unless the shepherd is before them, leading them to good pasture. And God does the same thing for us. God leads us and he guides us. How does he lead us and guide us? Well, God leads us through uh, circumstances. And so uh, he opens doors and he shuts doors And through the opening and shutting of doors, he's leading and he's guiding you through life. He might bring a person into your life that points you in a certain direction. Um, As you look back on your life, you can see where God has led you and guided you and brought you to where you are now. You know, I would never uh, have thought, you know, 20 years ago that I'd be living in Batesville, Arkansas. I just never would have dreamed that I would be here. But here God has led me. Here is the pasture where God has put me. And I'm so thankful for his guidance. He also guides you through his word. And so uh, in the Bible, you've got wisdom through the Proverbs and and things like that. You've got precepts. 
You've got commandments. You've got teaching. And through his word, God guides you and he leads you. And what the psalmist is saying here is that his leadership and his guidance is enough for me. Now, you may not like the way that he's guiding you. Uh, you may wish that God gave you the five-year plan. God, could you give me an outline of the fi five years in the future and tell me where I'm going to be five, ten years from now? Just outline it, and, and that's fine for me. You may not like that God kind of leaves you in the dark in terms of the, of the long-term plan. Because so often what God does is he guides your steps. He may not show you what you're going to do next year, but he shows you what you need for today. Psalm 119 says that thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's, his word is a lamp to your feet. He shows you the next step. You know, what's frustrating about the uh, COVID-19 uh, quarantine is I want to know when is this going to be over? Uh, I want to know exactly when I can get back to life as usual. And I'm frustrated because I just don't know. That information is not out there. But even though I may not know what's going to happen or next year or when this is going to end, God has showed me enough for today. For example, he's told me today that I want you to love your, your brothers. I want you to, to, to love others as, as I have loved you. Uh, he's told me that I need to be faithful with what he has given me. He says that I need to learn to be generous with my finances. I need to love my spouse. There are so many things that he's already told me that I need to do. He's given me enough guidance for today, and that guidance should be enough. So often, if you are faithful with what God has given you today, that will lead to what happens tomorrow. If you're faithful in the now, that will lead to your next. And so he guides us step by step. And for the psalmist, this is enough. He is content to trust and obey. Can you do that? This is what he's calling you into. Now notice he goes on. God not only uh, provides for him and that's enough and God not only leads him, which is also enough, but he says, God, your restoration is enough for me. Notice he says that he restores my soul. This is in verse uh, three. He says, he leads me besides the self waters and he restores my soul. His restoration is enough. Now, what does it mean that God restores us? Well, uh, what is the opposite of restoration? Uh, the opposite of restoration is dilapidation. It is to be in a state of disrepair. And uh, last week when we were, we had just bought this new building, which is behind me, uh, we looked at pictures of the landers before it was renovated. It was in a state of disrepair. I mean, it looked bad and we came in and we renovated it and it looks great. And what the psalmist is saying is that our souls are kind of like that. Our souls are in a state of disrepair. Our souls need help. And God restores us. Now, what's implied in the psalm, as we look at the metaphor of the shepherd, what's implied there is that we are God's sheep. Now, I didn't know much about sheep before studying the passage this week, but, but when God calls us sheep, this is not a compliment. This is what I've learned. 400 times uh, we are called sheep in the Bible, and this is not a compliment. Because here's what's true of sheep. Uh, this is from um, uh, Douglas McMillan, who's a shepherd. And here's what he says about sheep. He says, a sheep is a stupid animal. Sheep lose their direction continually, as cats and dogs and other animals do not. In addition, sheep are extremely obstinate. 
Even when you find the lost sheep, it is very difficult to round them up and to bring them back unless you have a dog to scare them. The lost sheep runs to and fro, and when you find it, you must seize it and cast it down, tie its legs together, and put it over your shoulders and bring it home. And finally, sheep are not the clean, cuddly creatures that they appear to be at a distance. On the contrary, they are subject to nasty pests and need to be regularly thrown into strong chemicals in order to rid them of lice, ticks, and worms. Behold, the Bible's main metaphor for human beings. You know, before this sermon, I, I, I pictured sheep kind of like this. This is a, a sheep that was on my, my um, piano at home. You know, it's nice and clean and white and cuddly and symmetrical. And this is the way I picture the sheep. You know, just kind of beautiful, clean, and cuddly. Actually, um, we've got another sheep at home. And uh, this is my, belongs to my son, Micah. And this is Lammy. This is his little friend. And notice how dirty Lammy is. Look how nasty Lammy is. I think... Lammy has been burnt, and so she's melted a little bit, and she's got, been outside, she's got rust on her, and she's all kind of messed up. And uh, this is kind of like your soul. We're constantly uh, walking away from God. We're, we're constantly uh, putting our hopes in the wrong thing. We're constantly getting ourselves in trouble. We're, we're dirty, we're messed up, we need to be cleaned. And what the psalmist says here is that God, your shepherd, is the only one who can restore your soul. Your soul is the most important part about you. You know, there's the outward you, which everybody can see, and then there's the inward you. And that inward you is kind of where everything in life comes out of. It's the most important thing about you. And only God is able to take your broken soul and to mend it and to heal it. And this is your greatest need. I love what Dallas Willard said. Um, he said, if your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem it. In other words, he's saying that uh, even if you're lacking everything, even if your life is not going well, even if you're in the valley, if your soul is healthy, if your soul is restored, then you're content. On the other hand, even if your life is perfect and, and you've got everything that you need, you live in a big house, you have lots of money, but your soul is unhealthy, well, then you're going to live in lack. And no matter what condition your soul is in this morning, only God can heal it. Only God can restore you. Only God can make you white as snow. Only God can, can find you and bring you back and mend you and heal you and make you whole again. The psalmist says, God restores my soul. That's another wonderful thing that he does for you. Are you letting him do this? Are you letting your shepherd take care of you? Are you looking to him to restore you? Are you acknowledging your needs, your sheepness, your lambiness? And the fact that he can help you and heal you. His restoration is enough. Next, his presence is enough. Notice uh, in verse four, uh, the psalm term's kind of dark. Up to this point, uh, this, the, the, the picture is green meadows and uh, quiet streams, but now the psalm goes into the dark valley and the, the imagery gets, gets dark and difficult. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so he says, even when the valley is dark, 
Even when I go through difficulty, he says, my shepherd is with me even there. You know, a hireling, a bad shepherd, runs away when things are bad. They disappear when things get difficult. But your loving, loving Heavenly Father actually moves towards you in the valley. In fact, what's interesting about the psalm is that the metaphor gets really personal here in the valley. Before, he's been saying, he leads me and he guides me and he makes me lie down. But notice that when he gets to the valley, he says, you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, his relationship with God gets more personal in the valley. If you're in a dark place right now, and many of you are, know that in these places, God is especially with you. This is where he especially shows up with his rod and his staff to comfort you so that you fear no evil. And notice what else happens. He says, and, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So uh, he talks about a table, and a table is a metaphor for celebration. It's a banquet. It's a metaphor for fellowship. And he talks about a cup, with, which is a metaphor of joy. The cup is running over. And notice, where does God celebrate with us? Where does he set up the table? Where does he overflow the, the cup? Is it when we get out of the valley? No, notice that the table is set up right in the midst of the valley, right in the presence of our enemies, right in the middle of our greatest lack. This is when God comes in and brings deep joy and fellowships with us and says, I am with you and I'm gonna overflow your cup during this time. And so God is not only, his presence is not only enough for him here, God's presence is more than enough in the valley. His cup is overflowing so that even in this dark time when things are bad, he has enough joy and contentment in life to give to other people, even in the midst of the valley. So there is joy here. I love what Tim Keller said. He said that there are two kinds of joy. He says there's a joy that comes from avoiding pain, from avoiding the valley. And it's kind of a naive joy. But he says there's another joy that comes through the valley. And this is a deeper joy. It's a joy that's not naive. It's a joy that's rooted and rich. And it comes in the midst of darkness. And so he says, God, you are with me. And whatever you're going through this morning, know that God is with you. His presence is enough. Finally, notice he says in God's grace is enough. At the very end here, there's this beautiful phrase. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love that. He says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when he talks about goodness and mercy, he's not talking about good circumstances. He didn't, doesn't say success and, and wealth and prestige will follow me all the days of my life. No, he says, goodness and mercy will follow me. He's saying that, that God's goodness and God's mercy are chasing after me. They're running after me all the days of my life. It's beautiful imagery here. And, and this is a, a, an image of God's grace. So the word goodness is, is, the, is the Old Testament word for God's steadfast love. In the New Testament, the word for that same word is translated grace. He's saying, God, your grace chases after me. God, your mercy is, is running after me. No matter where you are in life, no matter how far you've run away from God, 
No matter how, how, no matter how much you've messed up your life, just look behind you. Just look behind you and you will see God's grace running after you, chasing after you, hunting you down. Grace is God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. It is God's undying commitment to you. He's saying no matter what happens in life, God is after me. He's before me, leading me. He's with me in the valley. He's all around me. And when I look behind me, no matter where I've gone, he's after me. He's always there. In the New Testament, the greatest expression of this fatherly grace is, of course, Jesus Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd. The greatest picture of God's restoring you and providing for you and chasing after you is in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death of Jesus Christ on your behalf shows you to what extent he's willing to run after you. He loves you so much, his grace is so intense that it will run you down all the way to the cross. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so that he may restore you and redeem you. The Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. Let's apply this for, for just a couple minutes here. We're almost done. But I, uh, the first thing I want to ask you is, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? This is so crucial. This is what the psalm is teaching us, is that if we're ever going to experience contentment in life, contentment in the midst of lack, we need to know the Lord is our shepherd. Do you know him like this? Can you say the things that this guy says in the psalm here? Or do you just know the Lord as your, uh, you know, as your uh, vending machine? <laughs> is he there just to give you uh, the things that you want in life? Or do you know the Lord as your co-pilot? You know, God is there, you know, to help me, uh, you know, accomplish my dreams and my goals in life. Not a shepherd, but a co-pilot. Or maybe you know the Lord as your last resort. He, you know, you hardly ever think about it. You have so many things going in life that you hardly give the Lord a second thought. Unless you're really, really in trouble, well, then he's your last resort. Unless he is your shepherd, you cannot say that I shall not want. If you really want to know contentment, you've got to know him like this. There's a story of uh, Richard Burton, who apparently was invited to a church to, uh, to read the scripture uh, at a particular congregation and the scripture was Psalm 23. He got up, he read it. Of course, he's a famous actor. And so he articulated it very well. When he was done, everybody clapped. He sat down. And then the old pastor got up and read the Psalm and he was read it a little bit more quietly. He read it not quite as articulately, but when he was done, the congregation wept. And somebody who was there said it was because although Burton knew the Psalm, the pastor knew the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd. If you want to know him, he invites you. He, he, he wants to be your shepherd. All you need to do is stop, turn around. He's chasing you. Uh, he's died for you, and he's, he's taking care of the penalty for your sin, and he invites you to know him like this. Do you know your shepherd? You will never know contentment unless you can say that I know him like this. Not only do you know the shepherd, I also want to ask you, are you focusing on the shepherd? The problem is, um, so often we sit at home and we stew on all the things that we lack. We're constantly thinking about what we don't have. 
You know, like I said earlier, why I wish I had a different brain or, or I wish I had a different life or a different spouse and I wish things were different and I, didn't, I don't have enough. I wish I had more. And you can focus on all the things that you don't have and be discontent and jealous and be given over to comparison or you can focus on what you do have. You have a shepherd. And the more you focus on him, the more you spend time focusing on what he's done for you, that he's restoring you, that he's guiding you, that wherever he's put you, this is his provision for you. That he's, he's gracious towards you. The more you focus on what he is for you, the more you are filled up with joy and the, and the less you experience lack. And the more you experience just kind of this this gratitude towards life. And in fact, that's what we're gonna be talking about next week, gratitude, uh, so be sure to tune in for that. But, but let's just think today about how good it is that the Lord is our shepherd. Let's go forth this week learning how we can be content with that. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this wonderful song about the fact that when you are our shepherd, and, and, and when we focus on you and, and the things that you do for us, God, that can lead us to a position of contentment where we can say, this, it is enough. God, I may not have everything that I want in life. There may be things that, that are still out there that I wish I could have. And yet, Lord, when you are my shepherd, God, when I focus on you as my provider and my guider and my restorer and my presence, Lord, you are enough for me. Father, I pray that you would, would fill us up. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be in a place where we do not want. And I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name.